The following audio is from City Rev Church. For more information about City Rev Church, visit us online at cityrev.org. So a few years ago, as a family, we were over in Anna Maria Island, and my wife was in Publix. I was there with my boys when they were younger, and I was in the car. We were waiting uh, waiting for her to come out of Publix, and while we were waiting, I was telling them a story. Now, I'm one of those dads who likes to tell stories. Do we have any parents who are storytelling parents in here? Anybody at all? Okay, no, one. Yeah, we got one here in the purple shirt. There we go, all right. Uh, So I love telling stories, and so I'm sitting there, and while Melissa's in Publix, I'm telling my boys the story of a supervillain named Banana Man, okay? Banana Man wears all yellow and he goes into grocery stores and he steals the bananas to put in his banana blaster so he can blast out rotten bananas at people. And I'm telling the story and the kids are like, this is so cool. And then I tell them the story about two boys, coincidentally named Joshua and Ethan, which are the names of my boys, who competed against or fought against Banana Man and they threw him out of Publix and Banana Man leaves Publix and he gets in his yellow car because he's banana man and he drives away and so as I'm telling the story Melissa comes out and we're driving and as I'm talking to them about banana man driving around he could be anywhere we pull into Starbucks to get a drink and as I turn the corner and the Starbucks drive through there is a car in front of me and guess what color it was it was okay yellow was a yellow car and as soon as I saw it because I'm a storytelling dad I said to my little boys watch out there he is you know banana man duck and it was an awesome moment and And from that moment, we started this game that we had as a family for about three years. It's called the banana car game. And the way it works is while you're driving around, you're looking for yellow cars. And the family member who can spot the most number of yellow cars before someone else does wins the game. Now, one of the things that I found really interesting is as we started this banana car game, all of a sudden, and some of you have experienced stuff like this, All of a sudden, I started seeing yellow cars everywhere. Has this ever happened to you? There's actually a name for this. It's called the frequency illusion. And it's not that the the actual, there were actually more yellow cars out there. It's not like people heard my story, it caught on, it became famous, and everyone wanted to buy a yellow car. No, Uh, it was the same number of yellow cars. Like the outside world was exactly the same, but what what had changed was my perspective. Like suddenly I was looking for and looking at the world through a different perspective, a different grid, and it changed how I saw the world and it changed how I interacted with the world. Now, I start with that this morning because today in this message, I want to talk to us and I want to challenge you to adopt a new perspective. You're in this teaching series called Origins, and the big idea of this series is looking through the years, the story of City Rev, and and looking at key passages of Scripture and key ideas that have been taught through the years that have shaped the ethos and the culture and the experience of this church. And one of those ideas is the idea that we are called to live gospel-centered lives. Everyone say gospel-centered gospel-centered lives. And so what I want to do today is I want to talk about what it would look like for you and I to have a new perspective of the world in which we look at all of our engagements, all of our interactions, all of the things we say and the things that we do and the choices that we make through the lens, through a new perspective, which is the lens of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to start in the book of Philippians chapter 2. This is Paul's letter 
to the Christians in Philippi. And here's how it's going to begin. We're going to start by looking at a challenge that the Christians, that Paul gives to the Christians in Philippi uh, to, to live differently as followers of Jesus uniquely. Uh, and, and the challenge he gives them is difficult. What he's going to talk to them about is something that is difficult to do. And then we're going to notice how he says the way you're able to do that is to begin to look at life through the lens of the gospel. And then I want to give you two really practical ways that you can live this very thing out. Philippians chapter 2 verse 1 says this, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion. In other words, Paul's like, if you're even a Christian, okay? Like, if you're, if you're a Christian, then I want you to do this, right? Verse two, then make my joy complete by being, now I want you to notice what he says here. I have a couple things here. By being what? Like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. What is Paul, this first thing that Paul's calling them to? He's calling them as followers of Jesus to live lives of unity. So I want you to be united, like-minded, of one heart and of one mind. I want you to live lives of unity as the people of God living in Philippi. Now, sometimes people hear challenges like this from the scriptures to live unified as God's people. And sometimes people hear this and think, well, this is easy, right? Like how e it's so easy to be unified. We're all Christians, right? We just hold hands and sing how great is our God around a campfire, man. Like we're unified, right? But the truth of the matter is, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, if you've been in churches for any length of time, you might recognize that it really is not all that easy at times to be unified. Anybody with me? And part of the reason is because even in this room and on our online campuses and, and the other services, there are many people who are from different backgrounds and different experiences and different socioeconomic levels, and we all come together in the name of Jesus, and sometimes those make it hard to be one and to be unified. But Paul's like, this is what you're called to. This is what we're called to be. We are called to be one. <laughs> we're called to be one. And it's not always easy. Like in the last 18 months, we've been in the pressure cooker of, of COVID. Hopefully, thank God we're moving out of that right now. It hasn't always been easy historically. Acts chapter 2 is the beginning of the New Testament church. And this is the day of Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit falls on the day of Pentecost. And if you read it, there's 3,000 people that come to faith on that day, and they're all heart unified in their hearts and minds. And I want to ask you this question. From Acts chapter 2, in this beautiful moment of unity, how many more chapters do you think they have to go in the book of Acts before they're wrestling with disunity? You know how many more chapters? Four chapters. Just go to Acts 6, and the Greek-speaking widows aren't being cared for as well as the Hebrew-speaking widows, and they'd wrestle with it. The bottom line is, the first thing that Paul says is, hey, if you're going to follow Jesus, Here's part of what it looks like. I want you, as God's people, to be unified. It's not easy, but it's what we're called to. Here's the second thing, verse 3. He says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility. Notice those four words. Value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. The first difficult thing he calls them to as followers of Jesus is I want you to walk in unity. The second thing he calls them to as followers of Jesus is this. I want you to treat other people as better than you. <laughs> Matter of fact, one of the other translations actually said that esteem others as better than yourselves. 
Now that phrase and that idea is one of those phrases and ideas that is easy to amen and difficult to do. <laughs> There's a lot of things like that in life. They're easy to amen and agree with, but difficult to put into practice. Like, does anybody here have a friend or family member who is really, really good at exercising and eating healthy, and you might not be quite as good? <laughs> and you're having a conversation with them about it, and they're like, you know, you really need to start working out. You really need to start eating healthy. And as they talk to you, you're amening them like, you're right. I do. Yes, I do. How many of you know it's a lot easier to amen them and say, yes, I need to start working out than it is to wake up at 5 a.m. in the morning and go to the gym? Everybody with me on that? It's a, lot, it's a lot easier to amen them, you're right, I should eat better, than it is to choose broccoli over breadsticks at Olive Garden. Can I get an amen on that one? You following me, right? Like, there are things in life that it's just, man, it's, and this is one of them. Paul's like, hey, Christians, hey, I just want to esteem others is better than yourself. And our hearts are like, yes, and then our life's like, that's hard to do. If you don't believe me that it's difficult to do, how many of you remember the great toilet paper apocalypse of 2020? <laughs> now think about what in the world did toilet paper have to do with COVID, right? I mean, literally nothing. You know why we had a toilet paper apocalypse in 2020? Because we were not esteeming others as better than ourselves. And we're like, if the whole world's going to blow out, at least I'll have my toilet paper, right? Some of you probably still have multiple rolls from that time you bought in 2020. Like, my point is that Paul's saying, like, listen, you want to follow Jesus? Okay, okay, be unified. All right, uh, esteem others is better than yourself. Now, those two ideas are just two concepts of what it looks like to live as faithful disciples of Jesus. The language here that we use at City Rev of as methetes, right? Disciples of Jesus Christ. Uh, but the truth of the matter is, in totality, if you seek to live as a follower of Jesus Christ, number one, you will be different, and living in that way is going to be difficult. I've been talking to my church about this recently. Like, like sometimes we get so surprised when we're trying to live as Jesus how different it feels from the rest of the world. Let me just say, don't be surprised. <laughs> don't, if you seek to live as Jesus, as a follower of Jesus, as a disciple of Jesus in South Florida in 2021, you will be different, it will, you will be different and Jesus is gonna call you to some difficult things. Now, he doesn't just, Paul doesn't just say, well, you're gonna be different and it's gonna be difficult, so deal with it. He gives us the tool. How, how do we do it? Like, how do we live it out? How, and and the, the examples we use, how do we well, walk in unity and esteem others as better than ourselves and, and all the different things it means to be a disciple of Jesus? Here's the answer he gives us in verse five. He says this, here's how you do it. In your relationships with one another, and I'm just gonna say simply, in everything that you do as you live, okay? As you seek to follow Jesus, in your relationships with one, or, one another, have the same, and I read this verse to get started. We're gonna read it again. Have the same, what's that word? Say it out loud with me, mindset. As who? As Christ Jesus. What Paul's saying is, if you're gonna live as a follower of Jesus Christ, you're gonna be different, and it's gonna be difficult. Well, check it out. Guess what? You're going to have to have a change in perspective. Have a different 
mindset, have a different lens through which you are viewing the world. Now, this is why he says that we're supposed to do this, and this is why this is important, because everyone has a lens through which they look at the world, a perspective through which they look at the world, and the perspective through which you view the world and view your relationships and view your resources will absolutely impact how you engage in the world. Let me give you some examples of some perspectives that people have, and as I give you these examples, I want you to think about your own life, if maybe there have been times in your life where you've looked at the world through these lenses, different lenses, I want you to think about your friends and family and coworkers, and as I give these ideas, I want you to go, I've seen this, or I've seen this, or I've seen this. So, so here's one perspective, one that, that sometimes uh, we, people look at the world through. They look at the world through an emotion-centered lens, an emotion-centered perspective. Here's what that means. That means that you engage with your decisions and your choices and the things that you want to do, and the primary question you're asking to decide how you're gonna engage is how do I feel? And you know people like this. Sometimes they're feeling like this, sometimes they're feeling like this, and their emotions are up and down, and they make decisions and choices based on their emotions, because that is the grid through which they are looking at the world. And when you live and look at the world through an emotion-centered lens, here's what ends up happening. You will find that you're going to make a lot of decisions that you will regret later on. Has anybody ever seen this in people's lives before? I think you're with me. Let me give you a couple other ones. How about this one? Uh, some people look at the world, especially in South Florida, and, and especially if you're a driven person, through a career-centered lens. Some of you grew up in homes like this, where your father or your mother, their primary question was, how does this choice, how does this decision affect my career? And that was the lens through which they looked at the world. And sometimes what happens when people are operating with a career-centered lens is that they make decisions that benefit their career but hurt their family. Benefit their career, but affect negatively their walk with Jesus and their spiritual life. And yet, when they're presented with the opportunity, there's not even a question. Of course, I'm going to take that, that promotion. Of course, I'm going to do this in my career. It's going to benefit my career, even if it impacts other things negatively. It's a career-centered lens. Let me give you a couple more. This is a big one for right now in the moment that we live in. But how many of you know someone who looks at the world through a politics-centered lens? Anybody here know someone like that? No, everyone's afraid to raise your hand. I don't want to get in trouble. It's okay. I see you. I see your heart raising your hand. I mean, this is like the thing right now. Everybody knows someone, and maybe some of you are this person. Every single thing you look at in the world is through the lens of the right or the left, Republican or Democrat, who's in or who's out, and what I like, what I don't like, always through the lens of politics. Let me give you one more. Uh, lens of people-pleasing. These are the people who the biggest question is not what does God want, not what is right, not what is best, but what will make the people around me happy because I really want to please them. And Paul's point here is, listen, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you can't be centered only on your career primarily. You can't be centered primarily on your emotions. You can't look at the world through the, the lens of people pleasing. You can't look at the world through the lens of your career. If you want to be following Jesus, a mathetes, a disciple of Jesus making a difference in the world, you have to have a different kind of mindset, a different kind of perspective. You need to have the mind that was in who? Well, who did he say? 
Jesus Christ. Christ Jesus, right? You have to take the mind of Jesus. And, and what we're going to see is what he's going to describe here in the next few verses is how the, the way that Jesus saw the world played out in what we call the gospel. Now, that word, some of you, when I say the gospel, you know exactly what that means. Others of you are new to Christianity or exploring Christianity. And if you're like, what does the gospel mean? Here's what the gospel is, really simply. The gospel is the story or the proclamation of how Jesus Christ came to rescue us from the power of Satan's sin and death. That's the gospel. It's the story, the proclamation of how Jesus Christ came to rescue you, rescue me, rescue us from the power of Satan, sin, and death. And what Paul is going to say here, he's like, I want you, if you're going to follow Jesus, you have to have a new perspective, the perspective that Jesus has as evidenced in the gospel. And so what he does in the next few verses is he describes to us the story of the gospel, of what Jesus did to rescue us. And, and I want to illustrate it by getting on this ladder for a second, if that's all right with you. So I'm going to get up on this ladder. And I want you to take a look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Because he says this, he says this, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Notice what he says there, who being in very nature who? God. Very nature God. The first thing we have to understand when we think about the gospel and the story of the gospel is that Jesus is God. The Bible teaches that God is one person, one God, excuse me, in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God, Jesus, has existed from eternity past fully as God. So the story of the gospel doesn't start with Jesus as a rabbi or a teacher. It starts with Jesus as God. And it goes on like this, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. So God, Jesus starts up here as God, and then he takes a step down in our direction. And Paul says, he didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his advantage. What does that mean? It simply means that Jesus, as God, is worthy of honor and glory, and he's, he's full of majesty, and Jesus didn't hold on to that. I mean, he could have. He was on the top rung, right? Like, he's fully God. But he doesn't hold on to that reality as God. What he does is he takes him, he humbles himself, and he becomes like one, one of us. And I find this really interesting. He says this in verse 7, rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Now, some of you might say, well, Jesus became nothing. He became like us. Are you calling us nothing? What Paul's saying is in comparison to the glory and the fame of Jesus is God. We're like a little speck of dust on the earth, a grain of, of sand. So Jesus is up here, you know, the top of the ladder, and he makes a move in our direction. He becomes like one, enough, one of us. He's born in the manger in a small town called Bethlehem. And then here's the final part of the story of the gospel as Paul here. He says this, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. So he takes another step down by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross. When you think about the gospel, I want you to think about the gospel as Jesus starts up here at the top of the ladder, right? He's fully God, and then he takes a step down in our direction, becomes like one of, one of us, and then he humbles himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, we have to understand something about the cross. When Jesus went to the cross, it wasn't because he was outsmarted by the Pharisees. 
When Jesus went to the cross, it wasn't because he was outwitted by Judas or by Pilate or the Roman authorities. The reason why Jesus came to, went to the cross is because he allowed it. He couldn't have been taken to the cross had he not allowed it. It's sort of like when I arm wrestle with my boys. I have two sons. One is eight and one's 11. Now, my 11-year-old is pretty strong, but if we arm wrestle together, right, it'll go like this. Ready, set, go. I win. Right? Like, that's how it works when we arm wrestle, <laughs> especially with my eight-year-old. One, two, three, go. I win. Now, sometimes, as a good dad, and some of you guys know what this is like, if you're about to arm wrestle your kids, because especially boys, they like to wrestle and arm wrestle and fight and all this. So I'll sit there across from my eight-year-old, and I'll go, you ready, Josh? He's like, yeah, I'm ready. I'm like, are you ready? He's like, yeah. And then we say, go. And I do this, oh my goodness, you're getting stronger. Wow. And then poof, I win, right? Like, that's how it works. Now, sometimes, and I'm really being a nice dad, it works like this. Josh, are you ready? It's my eight-year-old now. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm, I'm ready. I'm going to beat you, Dad. Ready, set, go. And then I'm like, oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. And I let him win. But the key there is I let him win. There has not been one time where my eight-year-old beat me in arm wrestling where he won without me letting him win. Why? Because I'm 41 and he's only eight. And even though I'm no you know, Hercules here, I'm still an adult man. He's a little kid. You get the point. The only way that Jesus could be on the cross and crucified is if he what? If he let them win. The story of the gospel is the story of Jesus, fully God, up here, right? From eternity past, he takes a step down in our direction, becomes like one of us. And even further, he allows himself to go to the cross and be crucified. And on the cross, what was happening, he allowed the Father to place your sins and my sins on him. And he died in our place so that we could be forgiven. The story of the gospel is the story of how Jesus Christ, God the Son, moved in our direction in a great act of generosity and a great act of love. He came and gave everything that he had so that you could be forgiven and you could have a relationship with God and live a life, a fullness of life on this earth. This is the story of the message of the gospel. Now, Paul says, here's the deal. If you want to follow Jesus Fully, you have to have a new perspective, and it is looking at life through the lens of the gospel. You need to be gospel-centered. Can you say those two words out loud with me? Gospel-centered. Gospel-centered living, not emotion-centered living, not career-centered living, not feeling-centered living, not people-pleasing-centered living, not money-centered living, not pleasure-centered living, gospel-centered living. Now, how do we do that? Like, what does that look like? How do we, how do we think through and process that? Well, there's, a, there's a, a statement, a question I want you to have in your mind, but to do that, I want you to take a minute and take your phone out. Can you take your phone out for me? And as you do, I'm gonna ask the tech team to put this, this phrase up here. Go ahead and do that. Um, I want you to take your phone and take your camera, and I know everyone's got one, so if you don't have your phone out, don't try to pretend. I want you to take a picture of that phrase, okay? Go ahead and take a picture of that phrase. In light of the gospel, I should, and then fill in the blank. In light of the gospel, I should. Now, why do I want you to take a picture of that phrase? Because I want you, this week, when you're looking through your photos, to stumble on that picture again and go, oh, in light of the gospel, I should. 
And I want you a year from now, when you're looking at photos of your 4th of July picnic that you're going to have tonight, to go and, oh, I remember this message, in light of the gospel, I should. So being gospel-centered, this type of perspective is this. In light of what Jesus Christ did, that he started up here, and he came down in our direction, and he loved us, and he gave himself up for us, I'm going to live differently. I'm going to respond to people differently. I'm going to act differently. So let me give you two really simple examples, practical, of what this might look like in your life to get you thinking of, in light of the gospel, I should. Here's the first one. In light of the gospel, I should forgive. Can everyone read that sentence out loud with me? Let's read it together. In light of the gospel, I should forgive. Years back, I was having a conversation with a guy at another church, and he was talking about his frustration he was having with his wife. And as he was talking, I could tell he was really mad about something. And as I started you know, listening a little bit more, he was telling me what happened. And in truth, it wasn't that big of a deal of what he was mad at, but it got him upset. And he was angry about it. And he was just like, I can't believe she did this. And I was like really upset. And so I'm just trying to be a good listener. I said to him, man, like, well, when, when did this happen? Like, when did this take place that like, that she did this to you, and I'm expecting him to go like last week or last night or three weeks ago, because I mean, he is really livid about it, and I'll never forget it. I'm like, hey, when did this happen? And he looks at me and he's like, five years ago. I'm like, dang, man, five years? I'm just sitting there thinking like, for five years, this guy has been internally seething about something that his wife did to the degree that five years later he's telling me about it in detail and he has not yet forgiven her. So I look at him and I say, I'm not you know, trying to tell you what to do, but I'm going to tell you what to do. What you need to do is you need to go to your wife and you need to reconcile this relationship and you need to forgive her. And he looked at me. And he said this, he said, I will never go to her first. She's the one who offended me and I will only forgive her if she comes to me. Now, some of you know people who act like that, think like that. Some of you are those people. <laughs> Let me ask you this question. Take that scenario. You've been offended by your spouse or you've been offended by your adult child or you've been hurt by that boss, or your small group leader did something that, uh, that, that bothered you, or your serving team leader did something that hurt you, right? You, you're hurt by somebody, and you've got this thing inside of you where you're upset, and, and here's how you know you're really upset at the person you haven't forgiven them. Uh, when you hear people say good things about them, it bothers you, right? Has this ever happened? Like, you know, you're like, you're mad at somebody. You haven't even thought about it for a while, but then someone goes, hey, I ran into so-and-so the other day and they won the lottery. And you're like, I'm so angry, right? Should be happy you're not, right? So that's the situation, okay? Now, you've been hurt. In light of the gospel, I should what? Now think about the gospel for a minute. Okay, here's Jesus, God eternal uh, God, Jesus Christ, the son of God, second person of the Trinity. And, and here's what happened. There was somebody who sinned against somebody. Either God sinned against us or we sinned against God. You want to know who it was? It was we who sinned against God. So humanity, including you and me, sinned against our holy God. We went our own way. We worshiped other things instead of him. Uh, we, we, we looked at idols instead of God. I mean, we sinned against, disobeyed him. And what did Jesus do? 
You know what Jesus could have done? He could have been in heaven like, seriously, humans? Like, you're gonna dis, I've given you so much. I've blessed you. I've given you the breath of life. You do realize that you can't even exist unless I've given you the ability to live, right? And so Jesus could have just said, well, you know what? I will never forgive you unless you get your way up to heaven somehow in your own ability, which we couldn't have done. That's not what Jesus did. What did Jesus done after we, did after we offended him, sinned against him? What did he do? He came down and he moved in our direction and he came to us and he laid down his life for us so that we could be what? Forgiven. So in light of the gospel, I should hold on to my bitterness towards my brother-in-law. In light of the gospel, I should nurse that anger towards that person who hurt me. Or in light of the gospel, I should be a reconciler and move in their direction and seek to forgive and restore the relationship. Are you following me, City Rev? There might be some of you who are here this morning and literally the thing that the Holy Spirit wants you to do is when you leave, text that friend, that family member, that whoever, and text them and say, hey, we need to talk and go to them and seek to reconcile that relationship. That's what it looks like to be gospel-centered. It's not just a theology or an idea out there. It's boots on the ground, how we live our lives. In light of the gospel, I should forgive. Here's the second one. In light of the gospel, I should be generous. Everyone say generous. generous. And when I say generous, I don't just mean money. Of course, that's part of it. But I think about whole life generosity. We are called to be generous with our time, our talent, and our treasure. Sometimes we don't recognize that the story of the gospel might be one of the greatest stories of generosity, or is the greatest story of generosity ever told. Because think about it, here's Jesus, fully God in heaven with everything he wants. And the glory and the splendor and the majesty of heaven. And what does he do? He gives all of that up to come and be with us. Generosity. And not just that, as he lives among us on the cross. What is the cross? The cross is Jesus literally giving up the most important and precious thing in all of human history, which is his own life, generosity, so that you and I could be forgiven. The story of the gospel is the story of radical generosity on the part of Jesus so that we could be rescued. And so as followers of Jesus Christ, if we understand the gospel, when we look at our resources, our time, our talent, and our treasure, then we ask this question, or we make this statement, in light of the gospel, I should be, well, if Jesus was generous, then guess what I'm called to be? Generous as well. What does that look like? <laughs> it looks like... Uh, a couple of things, and I'll say this though, I'll say that um, the story of City Rev baked into your story is a story of some really beautiful, radical generosity. So I, I, I was joined the staff of this church 14 years ago, and uh, at this time when I joined, we were not in this facility, we were meeting at the Pines Charter High School doing set up and tear down every week. And, and while I was there, before we got on staff, Pastor Ruby and I talked, and I said, hey, at some point, I want to plant a church. And he's like, yeah, that's cool. So we'll commit to three years, and, 
and then we'll, we'll plant this church. He's like, yeah, man, I'm with you. And so we go through the three years, and we're getting the beginning stages of being ready to plant the church. And as we were getting ready to plant the church, there was a lot of different things happening at City Rev. Once, there was a group of people who left, about, uh, a group of people who left City Rev, and they were upset about something. They left. And, and then there was some beautiful things happening where they were beginning, the church was beginning to start to look at this facility and take a step to be, from being portable to permanent, which when you're a portable church going to permanency, that is a massive step. So here we are having these conversations about, hey, we're going to plant this church, and, and, and all of this is taking place. And very easily, Roby, Pastor Roby could have said, you know what, John, let's reconsider this whole church body thing. We've got a lot going on, man. Like, we're about to go to this facility. It's going to cost Right? We're going to need people. And sending people out with you to start a church, probably not the best idea. But you know what's really amazing is that 11 years ago plus, when we ended up uh, planting this church, here's what happened instead. Fueled by this ethos and this idea of gospel-centered generosity, Roby and I were talking. He said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to move into this space, and we're going to keep taking ground for the kingdom of God at this time as West Pines Church, but we're also going to plant you, plant you. Now, here's what happened. So the church at the time was something around 200 people, and they said, and they, were, they committed to sending over 20 people to leave West Pines and start our church. Now, 20 people might first not seem like a big thing, but realize when you're 200 people, 20 people is a tithe, right? Like they tithe the whole group of people. And the people they sent to plant Crossway Church weren't just people on the sidelines. These were givers. These were people serving. They were engaged. They were leaders. They were praying. I mean, like they sent 20 of their best in that moment. And not only did City Rev, West Pines at the time, send out a group of people to start our church at a pivotal moment in there in your life, but they also committed to significant financial resources in the first year of the, our life as a church. Now, I say all that to say, when you look at the story of City Rev, it is a story of this radical gospel-centered generosity. And you know what I think is so cool is how I see God blesses that. So think about this. The first Sunday we planted as a church, Crossway, was the first Sunday that West Pines met here in this building. And even after sending out over 20 people, good, godly, committed people, to plant our church, the first Sunday that West Pines met in this building, they grew, and they were bigger than they were when they sent us out. Isn't that an amazing thing? It's an amazing thing. And, and here's what I think. It's one of the ways that God says, when you see it, it's one of the ways that God says, you're onto something. Like, this is it. This is what I'm calling you to. Like, radical, gospel-centered generosity. You can't just hold on to your resources. You give them because this is what Jesus did. This is the new perspective we had. So for you, on this idea, two questions. One, let's just talk finances. Are you someone who looks at your financial resources and says, I'm going to hold on to them? Or are you someone who looks at your financial resources through the lens of the gospel and says, because Jesus gave it all for me, I will be radically generous to God and the work of God in the local church I'm a part of. Number one, here's number two, and this is a different one, but I think it's really interesting. A couple weeks ago, uh, they announced that you guys are starting a second campus over at Cooper City High School. 
And I think that's really beautiful because I actually graduated from Cooper City in 1997, a long time ago. I graduated, and when I was a Christian, when I went there, and, and I was a part of our Bible club, and I used to pray for revival on the campus at Cooper City High School. I think it's just a beautiful thing to see City Rev going into that space and, and extending the impact of the kingdom over there in that second campus. But here's where I wanna challenge some of you. It could be that there are some of you who are here today that when you heard about the campus and the need for people to join and to serve and to be a, a part of that team, the Holy Spirit was like tapping you on the shoulder and saying, hey, I want you to go, right? And you felt the tapping of the Holy Spirit, but you were like, maybe it's the indigestion from the pizza I left last night because you thinking, but if I go, I'm going to have to give more of my time, and I'm going to have to serve, and it's kind of easy here, and I'm kind of comfortable here, and could I challenge you that maybe, just maybe, for some of you, I know it's not everybody, but for some of you that the, uh, the invitation of the Holy Spirit is to take a step of faith in the new work and say, I'm gonna be generous with my time, my talent, my treasure to see the kingdom of God extended in this new campus. Listen, this idea of gospel-centered generosity or gospel-centered living is simply this idea that everything I do, right, every decision I make, every choice, every word I speak, I'm gonna filter it through this lens of in light of the gospel, in light of what Jesus did, I should. And I promise you, as you start thinking and processing and praying along those lines, man, powerful things can happen as you begin to walk in a new kind of obedience to the Lord. Now, I wanna close with this, and I think it's appropriate to close with this final idea as we talk about the gospel. I'm sitting here, and in some ways, I'm talking, as I talk about gospel-centered living, I'm talking to those of you who've received the gospel. But can I just ask you this really simple question as you sit here and as you watch online? Let me just ask you this really simple question. Uh, have you personally responded to the gospel of Jesus for yourself? Have you responded? I don't mean like, is your wife a Christian? <laughs> I don't mean, are your parents religious? I don't mean, did you go to Sunday school when you were a kid? I mean this, is there a moment in your life where you looked at God and you said, I admit that I'm a sinner. I have not always obeyed. I've not always done what you wanted me to do, God, I, I, I admit that. And, and, and I want to be forgiven. And I believe that Jesus came down from heaven and he went to the cross for me. So you've got to understand something that when Jesus went to the cross, it wasn't just generic salvation, it was specific. Jesus knew you. God, God saw your face when he went to the cross. He died for your sins, for your shame, for your guilt, for your new beginning. The love of God isn't generic, it's specific, and it's for you. And, and so there is a moment in everybody's life where we have to make this decision. Are we going to receive the good news that Jesus Christ died for me, not somebody else, me? And I'm going to tell you something. When you receive that for yourself, you become alive in a new way. Bible says you are born again. You become a new creation. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are adopted into the family of God. You have a future hope and purpose. 
And I just, I would be remiss if I didn't close this message out by just simply saying, have you done that for you? Have you received that for yourself? Have you received the gospel for you? So here's how I wanna do, I wanna close, I wanna end, I wanna close by praying just a simple prayer of invitation. If you're here this morning or you're watching online, and maybe for the first time in your life, you need to go like, you need to say, Lord, I receive that from me. I just wanna pray and invite you. And if you're a Christian here this morning, as I pray this prayer, I'm gonna ask you to pray that there would be somebody in this room right now or watching online right now who is for the first time gonna experience the power of the forgiveness of Jesus Christ through the gospel. So let's close our eyes and bow our heads. If you're here and you hear about what Jesus Christ has done and you think about what he's done, maybe this is the first time that you said, I, I want this for me. I just wanna ask you to pray these words in your heart after me. Say, Father God, I need you. Forgive my sins. Make me new. Today, I believe that Jesus died for me. And on that cross, his blood was shed for me. I want to follow you. I want to be a new creation in you. So from this day forward, I will follow Jesus. Thank you for his sacrifice. We ask in Jesus' name. And everyone together said, amen, amen. God bless you guys. Thanks for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at cityrev.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, you can email us at podcast at cityrev.org.